the Good Christophian Talks podcast. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. Thank you so much for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help each one of us get the Bible in our daily newsfeed. We post at the start of each week for you to listen with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to hear. And now, let's hear more about this week's talk. For this week, we're listening to an exhortation that was another recommendation given to us, an exhortation that was given by Shane Smith at the Mount Waverley Ecclesia in Melbourne, Australia. I'm not sure exactly what year this exhortation was given, but it was a recommendation we got a few months back and finally was able to listen to it and really enjoyed it. The topic of this exhortation is tackling doubt. Brother Shane does a really good job of breaking down what doubt can do to us, taking a look at that. You know, once doubt is allowed to enter into your mind, you start to feel doubt. Doubt is seated in a fear, a fear of not knowing or not doing the right thing or not knowing what you're supposed to do. And once you have that fear, our own human instinct is then to take steps to preserve ourselves, kind of self-preservation kicks in. And once that kicks in, then you start looking for ways to kind of prevent or solve your doubt yourself and uh, he looks at several biblical examples starting right from the from the garden uh, talking about how that you know the serpent introduced doubt into Eve's mind about whether whether or not what God had told uh, Adam and Eve was true and once she saw that doubt then she started to act on it and it caused the the downfall and then looks at multiple other biblical characters how that just a little entering of doubt has significant impact on them and kind of steers the course of their life. Brother Shane with his with his exhortation is focusing on what that doubt can do to us. You know, whether it's being uncertain about where you stand with with friends or in a social circle or being uncertain about work or doubting whether or not you're able to do what you need to do. It's something that we all struggle with. Uh, at various points, sometimes it's that little nagging feeling in the back of your mind that you can't quite put your finger on why you feel uncertain, but it's there, and it's a it's a human failing. We all suffer with it. And Shane, Brother Shane's exhortation when he's going through this, points out that rather than letting that doubt control us and steer us, that instead when we're feeling that doubt. And then you feel that fear of not knowing how you're going to deal with the doubt it's that you're feeling is instead to kind of take a lesson from Paul and instead f- throw our doubts before God and feel the confidence that we know that God is working in our lives, that he has a larger plan going on for us, for each of us individually and for the world as a whole. And that if we can trust in God, even when something seems uncertain, but knowing that it's going to work out in a way that makes sense, in a way that works for his good, uh, and will, you know, as long as we're striving to follow after him, will lead to us being in the kingdom, then it allows us to banish those doubts, and as Paul was doing, to be able to speak boldly and clearly and confidently uh, for God, and trusting in him uh, beyond what any human person would say has we have any right to do so this was a, a really awesome exhortation uh, like i said when i it was recommended a few months back and we got around to listening to it um, it was a really good one 
So I'm excited to share this one with you. Um, and as this one should be getting published uh, a little bit after the first of the year. So we wanted to have this one as something, especially with kind of the, the popular thing with uh, so the start of a new year is to do you know, New Year's resolutions to try to refocus yourself for the coming years. And I know sometimes when I've looked back at the years past, it kind of can lead to doubt and questioning where where you were coming from and where you're going and so this was i thought was a really good one to sort of focus on in the coming year driving and focusing that the hope and the faith that we have in god will overpower any fear or doubt that we might have so with that we'll turn it over to brother shane smith for his exhortation tackling doubt well it was there in the beginning but it was lightened And it was there, nevertheless. And it only took one question to bring it to the surface. In Eve's mind. If you cast your mind back to the serpent in in back in Eden, the serpent had asked Eve, Hath God said ye shall not of every tree of the garden? To which Eve had responded, We may eat of the trees of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent made a statement that challenged Eve's thinking. He said, You will not surely die. And he introduced a line of reasoning that did two things. It appealed to her senses to be gratified, And created doubt about what God had said. And the more she gave her mind to the erroneous thinking of the serpent, the less the truth of what God said had any impact. And doubt became disbelief. And disbelief became rejection. And she reached out and she took of that fruit. But for Adam, there was no doubt. He simply hearkened unto the voice of his wife and rejected the command of his God. And since creation, nearly every human identity will wrestle with doubt of one form or another. Insecurity about one thing and grasping of another thing they deem more credible. Primarily because we allowed the seed of a diverse form of thinking to be planted in our mind. And the offspring of doubt is fear. And when we fear, the next step is self-preservation. And suddenly we find ourselves making immediate decisions to remedy the problem to allay our fear. And Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked And I hid myself. You see, his fear led to self-preservation. The problem is, in most cases, those immediate decisions lack wisdom. They lack truth. And they lack God-likeness. When we come to the meaning of the word doubt, Thayer expresses the meaning of the word doubt this way. To be at variance with oneself, to hesitate. Strong puts it this way, to separate thoroughly, to withdraw from, or by implication, to oppose. And he adds, to be partial, 
to stagger or to waver. So then come over to Genesis chapter 15 and let's see how the meanings of these takes its effect in the life of Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 4, Abraham is in discussion with God about the seed he promised. And God stated in verse 4 that Eliezer shall not be thine heir, but the seed would come of his own bowels. And we read in verse 6, And Abraham believed in Yahweh, and he counted it to him for righteousness. In other words, there was no doubt in Abraham's mind that God would (coughs) give him a seed. But when Abraham imparted this information to Sarah, when no seed came, she doubted. And more than that, she disbelieved. And finally, she blamed God for her plight. If you have a look at chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, Nesarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she didn't handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold, Yahweh hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, going unto my maid, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And so we find self-preservation led to the solving of a problem her way. Going unto Hagar, my maid. You see, the problem was when it came to Sarai, it was all about her. She said, going in, says that I may be builded by her. The problem lied with itself. But when you come to chapter 18 and verse 9, when Sarah was no longer able to conceive, then the angel came confirming the promise. Chapter 18 and verse 9. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And she said, She is in the, in the tent. And he said, I will turn unto thee at the time of life, and Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And she heard it in the tent door. And verse 12, she laughed. She laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? She doubted. She disbelieved. She feared. And she said, I laugh not. She preserved herself. But in essence, the angel came along to Sarah and held a mirror up to her face that impelled her to take a reflective look at her character and her prevailing attitude for the past 20 years. So when you come over to chapter 21, and we read from verse 1 and 2, And Yahweh visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord said unto Sarah, or did unto Sarah, as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abram a son in his old age, at the set time which God had spoken unto him. So what was the inhibition? Could not God have given her conception 20 years earlier? But of course he could. But Sarah's doubt and disbelief was her own problem. And for all those years, she thought it was too hard for God to do the impossible. It was just too hard for him. But God will not interfere with human will to accomplish his purpose. What brought about the mind change to finally remove all doubt? 
Well, Hebrews tells us it was all about faith. Faith in the promised seed. But you can see a distinct mindset change when you come and see in verse 2, for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son. Do you remember in the other verses we looked at, she says that I might be builded by my servant. Now she says in verse 2, she says she's born the child unto Abraham. Um, and we read verse 4, Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. You see, her mindset's now changed. The promise was to Abraham. She thought that she could be building. But she says, I understand that this was the child of promise. It was promised to Abraham when she finally stopped trying to wrestle with God. She eliminated all doubt. She said, I knew all I had to do was just trust in God. It was all about faith. Faith in the fact that nothing was too hard for the Lord. She had to trust him. And it took 20 years, brothers and sisters, for her to overcome that doubt and disbelief before she finally reached exactly the same position as her husband when right in the beginning Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now doesn't that say an awful lot about their relationship? That at the beginning when Abraham believed and his wife didn't, Abraham didn't take the heavy-handed dominant role. Look, Sarah, you're just going to have to get this sorted out in your mind. I don't know why you don't why you doubt God. You're going to have to learn to trust him. You can't resolve this your own way. You simply don't have enough faith. Is that leadership in a relationship? Is it understanding of his wife? Had Abraham spoken to Sarah like that, would it have helped her in her cause? Do you know, if the father operated like this, like so with us, he would lose in an instant the very thing he desires of us. Our willing submission. And for 20 years or thereabouts, Abraham patiently demonstrated the example of faith, of trust, until his wife finally understood and she conceived in faith. Imagine what it was like when Sarah ultimately recognised her failing. When she finally went to Abraham and she said, you know, Abraham, you were right. For all these years I've been trying to solve this problem my way. I've been doubting God all my time, all this time. I've only made the matters worse. And during all that time, you were patient with me. And you just demonstrated to me the trust that I should have had also. Never was there a stronger bond made than when husband and wife have unity on divine principles. But isn't it true sometimes that there are some spiritual principles that are distinctly clear to us that others may doubt or they reject it or they just can't see it? 
And it's so easy to, for us to become impatient with our brothers and sisters and think, oh, look, they're just so hopeless. They're a lost cause. But that's not the way that God deals with us and it's not the way that Abraham dealt with his wife. That's the long-suffering character of God whom we worship. And he's a father who pities his children that don't understand, who love him, but are blinded by their own folly. And God will work with each of us to adduce a character like unto his own if we only let go our doubt and trust in our Father. Well, as God observes Sarah's change of heart, let's see the way that he dealt with Gideon over in Judges chapter 7. In Judges chapter 7, the angel proclaims to Gideon that he's a mighty man of valour and you wouldn't think so if you asked Gideon. And we're told in Genesis, sorry, Judges chapter 7 and verse 7 that God says to Gideon, And Yahweh said to Gideon, By the 300 men that lap will I save you and deliver you, deliver the Midianites into thine hand. Did you come over to chapter, sorry, to, uh, verse 8? So the people took their victuals in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained the 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night that the Yahweh said unto him, Arise, get thee down to the host, for I have delivered into thine hand. But if thou fear, go down with fear of thy servant to the host. So on one hand we have Gideon who is now called a mighty man of valour. He sees himself small in his own sight. His number of men whom is to go to war with the Midianites is reduced to 300. And he's going to go against a mighty host that is the sand of the sea for multitude, and I think, for my memory serves me correct, it was about 135,000, about twice the population of Launceston. And he stands there on a hillside, and he looks at 135,000, and he looks at his only, he's just 300. And God reads him like a book. And he said, If you fear... Surely we can appreciate Gideon's angst in the such the face of such odds. But how does God deal with Gideon's doubt? And first of all, there is no reprimand for his angst or for, 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 for the circumstances prevailing upon him. So there's no reprimand. Secondly, God doesn't take away Gideon's fear and replace it with lion courage. And thirdly, God doesn't even change the circumstances with the incredible odds. But rather, God encourages Gideon to action. To demonstrate his faith in the face of doubt. So in verse 13 and verse 14, 
Gideon goes down to the host. Two men goes right up to the brink of 135,000 men. And here's the conversation about a prophecy about Gideon's supremacy in battle. And it was so, verse 15, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise, for Yahweh hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. Now we've just done an overall summary of Gideon in the story of Gideon, which we've known from Sunday school for years. But if we were to put that collectively all together, there are six simple steps for us overcoming doubt. Point number one, trust in what God has promised. In verse nine, Gideon was told that God would deliver it into his hand. Fundamental, vital information, God said, I will do it. So point number one, entrust what God has promised. Point number two, if we're in doubt, seek support. God said to Gideon, go with Führer thy servant. Ah, so now there's two of them on this agenda. Find someone in your ecclesia with whom you can relate. Look, I'm really struggling with this. What are you struggling with? Well, I find this, this, this and this. Get together of someone with like-minded faith and share your burdens. Point number three, apply ourselves in faith. He's got to go with Führer and he's going right up to the brink of 135,000 men. He's got to demonstrate his faith. Make prayer fundamental in our life. Number four, accept what God reveals. Gideon, I'll do it. Verse 14, we've got, this is none other than the sword of Gideon. Accept. Don't keep fighting like Sarah. Accept what God has said. Number five, understand it is God's battle which he has asked for your input. In chapter 6 and verse 14, God had gone to Gideon and said, this is the battle to take place. It's my battle. I'm appointing you to lead it. It was God's battle. If we can only stop taking all the, the attention off ourselves and put the matter in God's hands, then God's gone ahead as the leader of the battle. We're following in his footsteps. And finally, when Gideon heard the prophecy and what the outcome would be, he worshipped. Remember to praise God for his victory in battle. You see, brothers and sisters, it's a natural characteristic of humanity to experience doubt and fear when faced by trauma of overwhelming circumstances. What God is most interested in is what we do when the fear hits us. Have a look at that reading that we had meditation this morning in, in Psalm 56. <clears throat> Psalm 56, on those two verses we read, 
What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. In verse 10, in God will I praise his word. In Yahweh will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Or from Psalm 118, verse 5 and 6, I called upon the Lord in distress. He answered me and he made me free. And when we're in the realm of doubt and distress and anxiety, when it's all done and dealt with, we think, which is free. It's gone. And God says, just put your trust in me. And you can be free of the angst and the doubt. Trust me. Now back over to Matthew chapter 14. That's the very thing that Peter had to learn. So we come to the events after the feeding of the 5,000, Matthew chapter 14. And after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus ascends a mountain and he constrains his disciples to go into the boat, to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And we read in verse 24, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth night, the watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking upon the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking upon the sea, they were troubled, saying, is it, a, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. Now, when I grew up through Sunday school, I sort of had this thought of a boat on the sea, and this sort of sea of glass. But it says in here, the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves. He sent them out at night. And during the age of the night, these disciples, these are professional fishermen. And this boat is getting chucked around left, right and centre. The wind is howling through the rigging. Goodness knows what happened to the sail. They're trying to keep the boat, and you must when in the midst of a storm, keep the boat into the waves into the wind and here they all the focus trying to keep this boat afloat and they suddenly see Jesus walking upon the sea and they cried out for fear and verse 27 Jesus said spake unto them saying be of good cheer it is I and be not afraid now the wind is howling through this situation we tend to look at it, we sit in, in our chairs in a hall and we sort of look at the situation, what's happening in, in a ship out in the ocean. And I suppose because I go tuna fishing, you know what it's like out in the rough sea sometimes. The wind is howling through the situation and they see this figure of someone standing upon the waves. And then Peter turns around and he says in verse 28, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. Now that's a staggering request. Absolutely staggering. For you go to you see the waves and the move the water moving. 
Never in the scripture do you hear of anyone walking on the water or since. But Peter has asked his Lord, bid me to walk on the water to come to you. It's just an instinctive response. His main focus, there's his Lord, he wants to be with him. He's not concerned about the odds. And Jesus said unto me, come. Now he's not just stepping off a platform onto a flat surface. The boat is rising up and down and Peter's going to try and put his foot out there and he's going to put his foot on the moving water. And he finally is able to do this. And it says, we find that he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And the waves are moving up and down. Now Peter's on the water. Everything's moving up and down. And he's walking on the water and he is going to Jesus. And he's walking straight to him. And Jesus said had unto them, verse 27, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. So when Peter stepped out of that boat onto those turbulent waters, Peter was not afraid. When he got out of that ship, he was not afraid. He was not afraid of defying nature to walk on the water and be tossed around with the waves. And as long as he had Jesus as his primary focus, Peter was not afraid. So what caused him to sink? But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. So now he has lost his focus of attention upon Jesus and he has let the wind become his primary focus. He's taken his eyes off Jesus. And he said, and he says there, and immediately... Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. Now, what does that tell you about Jesus? That Jesus was still on the water? Yes, of course Jesus was still on the water. That Jesus had quick reflexes? Yes. That he was a strong man to hold Peter out of the water? Yes. But when did Jesus respond? When Peter asked him. Have you ever thought about that when we become doubtful? That all we had to do was to go to Christ and ask him. And you know, brothers and sisters, Peter was almost at Christ's feet. If Jesus could reach out and grab him by the hand, he was almost there. So how close are we to the kingdom of God? We're almost there, brothers and sisters. so important that we don't let seeds of doubt get into our mind. Do you know, Peter might have been afraid of the forcible wind, brothers and sisters, but to his credit, when he doubted the circumstances and feared, he knew where his greatest consolation lie. It was in his Lord. In addition to that, there's another important fact here. That while Peter took his eyes off Jesus, Jesus never took his eyes off Peter. Ever wondered about that in life? 
When you're going through and you can't see, there are things that distract us on the way to the kingdom of God. We find we're over here, over there. Jesus never took his eyes off Peter for a moment. Come over to um, 2 Chronicles. This is one of the quotes I really like. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. In verse 9, just so fitting for this, um, this little section here. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of Yahweh run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Wherever we traverse upon the face of the earth, brothers and sisters, God's eyes are with us. Whether on a ship, whether on a plane, whether we're traipsing through the middle of a desert, God's eyes are, on the, are beholding his servants. Psalm 33 verse 18, The eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Now back in chapter 31, back in chapter Matthew chapter 14, you'll notice how tender Jesus speaks. Come to verse End of verse 30 or so, verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? There's no harsh condemnation. There's no pity. You're so impulsive. You say one thing, but you barely pull it through. Wherefore didst thou doubt? And Jesus identifies precisely what Peter's problem was. O ye of little faith, you trusted me too little. Why did you doubt? So again, doubt was the primary issue, which was brought about by the force of a wind. Now we know when you come to Ephesians that the winds of doctrine blow left and right. Every form of thinking which is contrary to the truth as it is in Christ. And we go through life and there are questions that plant seeds of doubt. People come along and they ask you questions. How do you know God exists? That's a question our granddaughter came to us recently and asked. How do we know God is there? People who have left the Christadelphian community, how do you know the Bible is true? Just think for a moment, what else would you do with your life if, if God wasn't real. Self-preservation, you see. What could I do with my life if this wasn't real? That's what Peter said to Jesus. Lord, don't go to Jerusalem. Pity yourself. Get behind me, Satan, he said. Now, brothers and sisters, we not, might not be called upon to lead 300 soldiers against 135,000. Or to walk on the rough seas. But God desires our absolute trust in what he asks of us. Do you know, I believe that the circumstance of Matthew chapter 14 with Peter on the water, I ask myself the question, so why did that take place? What are we being told here in this gospel record? And the fact is, a little later in, in Peter's life, the seeds of doubt expressed here in Matthew chapter 14 come up again. You're one of them. 
No, I'm not. I'm not one of them. Your Jesus is not. I'm not. It's not me. And he begins to curse and swear. You see, the seeds of doubt come back into his mind and he suddenly distanced himself from Christ. So it's prophetic of what was yet to come. But you know, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus met Peter <clears throat> again by another pile of coals. And Jesus comes in and he, and he finds the key issue in overcoming doubt. And Peter's standing there by the pile of coals and he suddenly goes, I've been here before. And Jesus comes to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And you can be just about guaranteed that Peter put his head looking down at coals. He wouldn't look at Peter's face, Jesus' face. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's uncomfortable. And finally, by the third time, Peter, do you love me? He shifted his eyes from down that fine. He looks at Peter, Jesus' face. And he can finally acknowledge. And there's communication back with Christ and Peter. And he looked unto Jesus. And he knew that there was no hiding of his emotions with Jesus. Let it go, Peter. Do you love me? And the beautiful thing about those circumstances, brothers and sisters, that even though Peter doubted Christ, even though he denied Christ, Peter found forgiveness with Christ. When we come around this memorial table, we can take heart that in all the things that face us in life, that upset us, financial issues, job loss, tragedy, sudden ill health, and we become tossed around like a boat upon the water, that God understands the ramifications of what we go through. He says, just trust me. And for the times we haven't trusted him, God says, just come to me and demonstrate your love, and I'll forgive you for that. If we could only look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, to come to stand more about his character and respond to things the way that he did. Because when we come to remember the man upon the table this morning, our Lord Jesus Christ, he never took his eyes off his God. He said, my heart is fixed. That is, the word fixed means to stand or upright, or be erect, like a lighthouse on a solid foundation. It was always pointed in the correct, or the true direction. So as you go into a new week, brothers and sisters, whether we are trying to carry our burden of facing new circumstances or doubt, let us just remember to trust God, to seek support, to apply ourselves in faith, to understand what God reveals. Let's go forth in battle in faith. And to praise God for the victory he has in us because we need to remember that God will never forsake us because he is faithful that promised. Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. Please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever service you are listening from to help people find the show when they search for it. 
If you enjoyed this talk, share it on social media so other people can find it too. For show notes and links to the talk that you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm slash GCT. We want to encourage everyone to share their thoughts from the talk this week on Facebook or Instagram, where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks, or on Twitter, where we are at GCT underscore podcast. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media platforms. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.